Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That'd be me. Awfully glad that you are joining me today. I hope your day is going well. It's been a pretty crazy day, pretty crazy week, and lots of crazy ahead. But God is on the throne, and we're going to trust him. We're going to feed our faith, not our fears. And uh, Guy Talk today is filled with the regular cast of characters. Dr. Peter Kapsner is with us, as is the Toms, Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, both pastors, and also Pastor Justin Jepson, and we want to be completely sensitive to whatever issues you have that you might be uh, dealing with, because we uh, want to be reaching out to you right now in your time of need, and know that we want to address whatever fears, anxieties, whatever you have. Send me a text. Let me know what it is. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We'll take sixty seconds and be right back. Of all the things to give up for Lent, don't give up on hope. Hi, I'm Neil Stave, a manager of Faith Radio. Hebrews 10.35 tells us not to throw away our confident trust in the Lord, followed by a reminder that Jesus is coming back soon. At Faith Radio, we continue to deliver that good news. Jesus died, rose from the grave, and is coming back again. Your gifts allow us to share the gospel across this growing media ministry and bring this message of hope. Thank you for joining our support team with a gift at MyFaithRadio.com. If you know God, he can bring his grace to bear on your situation, and he can take broken things and mend them and make out of brokenness that which is beautiful, but only God can do that. Real Hope, Faith Radio. Blessings to you on this Thursday, first day of spring. Usually we'd be jumping for joy, wouldn't we, gentlemen, on the first day of spring? Baseball season next week starting. It's all a different world, isn't it? Yeah, crazy times for sure, man. It is. I, yeah, it is. You know, I, you guys are all in the house. I, I got out of the house for the first time, and it feels like a couple days here just to be in studio. It's it's crazy to be out and, and see that there's no cars in the streets, really, to speak of. Every parking lot is empty. It's a different time for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking at Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I want to say, gentlemen, there is, could be a great opportunity for a great revival in our country. Yes, absolutely. Hasn't the gospel oftentimes been spread through major episodes like this, pandemics and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's usually was, uh, this kind of event that gets people to start asking the right questions, Bill. And they start asking, why am I here? What's my life about? What happens when I die? And believe me, this is touching everybody around the world. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I saw a post. Go ahead. 
I was going to say that, you know, all God has to do is move his little finger and everything goes off balance. And I think that's what's happened here. I think God is trying to get our attention. And, and, uh, for many, you know, many years, we've just been church attendance is going down, down, down. People are self-sufficient. We're, we're prosperous. We don't think we need God. And then all of a sudden, well, maybe we do. Mm. Yeah. It certainly Mm -hmm. exposes a lot of our idols in life, doesn't it? Our finances, Mm -hmm. you know, all the sporting Mm -hmm. events are shut down. Uh, there's mm-hmm. lots of things that we just uh, count on doing and looking to entertain ourselves that now have gone away. And I think that's that's not a, I mean, it's a bad thing uh, for our economy, but it also gets our attention in a new way. Yeah, I've always yeah. been intrigued by the movie The Matrix in which you know, they're living in a world that they assume is the real world, but it actually isn't the real world. And, and I think oftentimes uh, doing day in and day out in life, I, I certainly did not have anything about the coronavirus in my iPhone calendar last no. November, December. You just sort of assume <laughs> that the rhythms of the year are going to be what they are. You sort of have a control on life. You have a general idea about what's going to happen. And so these events like this that are so disruptive, they, they reveal, I think, actually the falsity that we have really any control over the future. And there's really then only one option. You have to turn to a God who does have control over the future mm-hmm. and move in that place of surrender again and submission and get through the delusion that you really think you have control over this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a prayer, a prayer that I pray rather often is, God, between now and the second coming, do whatever you have to do to save the most number of people and bring them to Christ. And this is the mm-hmm. kind of thing that does it. I mean, I, I'm not, and honestly, I'm not seeing it happening much yet. I, I'm not hearing a lot of calls for prayer, although I guess Ben Carson did at the uh, news conference the other day. But so I, I'm not sure that we're there yet. But, you know, Lord, do whatever you have to to bring in the greatest harvest of souls between now and the second coming of Christ. And again, this is the kind of thing I think that he does to get our attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've often thought, and becoming more convinced, especially in recent weeks, how the Lord can strategically leverage times of uncertainty to cause us to be more certain about Him. And I know He's certainly doing that uh, for me, you know, as uh, kind of all of our worlds are being turned upside down. And I, um, I heard one pastor say this past weekend, you know, there's a sense in which um, everyone's plans are falling out of place when uh, we need to recognize that God's plans are still falling into place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a, a at, at the surface level that could sound kind of trite, you know, but it, it, it really is. It speaks to a perspective change that, you know, kind of what Peter is getting to. Are we are we we so often don't uh, see reality as it is. We perceive things the way we want to perceive things, not as they actually are. And so I think this is a, a shaking and a shifting to help us. Um, really, truly reprioritize what what really matters in life, and, and mm-hmm. first and foremost would be that of um, where are we at with the Lord these days, and that makes all the difference. And I heard somebody say things are not falling apart; they're falling in place. Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. think that's a good way to think of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I wonder as I'm sort of watching how our country is dealing with it, and, and supportive of some of the fiscal measures that are being talked about <laughs> and have already been enacted. You know, you look at this. 
uh, over a trillion dollar spending bill that might be enacted. And you look at all the hope and sort of vaccines and treatments and stuff. And I guess one of, one of the, the flip sides of this conversation is, are we going to lean into human means to completely resolve the problem and just go to, back to life as usual? And, and how disrupted and, and how much failure do you have to experience before you finally get to the end of your rope and are willing to turn towards God? Because I think, Parrish, when you said you haven't seen a lot of prayer yet happen in our country, I will say most of the conversation I see right now is how is the government going to rescue us from this? How are the pharmaceutical firms going to rescue us from this? And I, I still think there is this sort of horizontal leaning into humankind to, to, to save us from this situation. But at the end of the day, even if that was to happen, right, it still reveals the illusion because at someday all of us are going to face death one way or the other. And, and death does strip mm-hmm. all of that away. And, mm-hmm. and so whether we're preserved from death in this particular moment, it doesn't change the fact that that is our ultimate destiny in this life that is broken. And, and so that illusion is going to be revealed one way or the other. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's got to be the message of light, that there's still hope beyond this life. And that's what we lean into. That's oh, right. absolutely. I've had the privilege of being with uh, close to 60 people at the moment they died. And I, I was sitting there, I'd be holding their hand, I'd be talking to them, be talking to the family, or they're in a coma. And it's interesting because up to this point, uh, guys, in my ministry, nobody's asked me on their deathbed about their 401k. <laughs> uh, nobody's asked me about our taxes going up. Uh, the, those questions all fall to the side. The questions I hear over and over are the basic questions about what's this life really all about? Who am I? What was I supposed to do? And where am I going? And I think that's the opportunity we have, because right now we're still in the beginning stages of this pandemic. And what I mean by that is we're not hurting, really, as a people. I mean, we've had a couple of days we've been shut in. What happens if it's two months from now and we're shut in? What happens two months from now and we're not going to work? Then people will start asking the right questions, and I think they'll lose faith and the government alone is going to solve it. I appreciate that comment, Tom. I know it's uh, we we don't really have any understanding of how long this will last, and and right now it's so new that right. we're we're still in a little bit of a um, uh, waiting and watching and trying to figure out what the next step is going to look like. But I think of uh, the nine eleven uh, when that happened. The next Sunday, the churches were all packed. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, yeah. they can't be all packed this Sunday. I don't know what mm-hmm. online visitation is going to be like, but. I think it's probably wise to let as many people know on as many social platforms as possible uh, great places to go to hear a great uh, message and be in the fellowship of an online community, even if you can't be there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I was talking to some pastors this last week, too, and I know how uh, many churches are probably going to be tipping over the financial cliff because of all of this, too, that may have been behind in the giving as well and and really do want to minister to their parishioners and, and really want to minister to the people that are hurting and yet uh, they're also concerned about the own financial situation. And there's so many uh, just beautiful shepherds of the kingdom that are out there trying to minister right now. So I know these are scary financial times for everybody, but to the extent that uh, we can help one another sort of stay afloat in these ministries, it's going to be a really critical time for the churches as well so they can keep doing the work of God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I have think a friend well, who... This... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. so I, I was going to say along along with that, I, I mean... It's definitely a shaky financial time, um, you know, for all and all, and certainly the church. But you know, getting back to the, the passage that Bill read, I, I really think this this could be. I mean, this is an unprecedented moment of opportunity for the church to really shine forth. And um, you know, I, I think the, there's a sense in which the, you know, the Romans Road has been renamed and the the Gutenberg Press has been rebranded. I mean, that's you know, the social media platforms. You look at all the different a- avenues that the gospel can run on. 
and God's people can connect with each other, um, and you know, pastors can shepherd uh, people in this time of fear and uncertainty. Um, I don't. I, I'm not, I don't mean this to come across as a, sh- a shallow optimism, but I, I've been thinking and praying. I, I wonder, you know, what if what if these next months were the time were the times in which the greatest generosity was experienced and people giving, mm. um, even in the times of greatest need. And what would the, what would it be like if this was the time of, of the greatest expanse of the gospel and in the kingdom and the building of the church in a time when we, you know, our, our desperation has truly been revealed, you know? And, um, so, I mean, it is, I believe we will, we will get on the other side of this and we will get back. And I think there will be that influx of people back into the church and probably a waning, as you know, as we lose sight of the of this crisis, but I think, but I think, I think the Lord strategically and sovereignly shepherds us from one crisis to another, um, towards that point that Tom was talking about to save the most amount of people as possible uh, before Jesus returns. I love that. Let me take a little break, gentlemen. Uh, you're, you're listening to uh, Guy Talk, and I'm uh, so pleased that the the uh, cast of uh, characters are all available today and coming in from their home studios. Or should I say their cell phone in their living room anyway? We'll be back in just a few minutes. back with Guide Talk, Dr. Peter Kapsner, pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, and Pastor Justin Jepson. Uh, so appreciative of you uh, gentlemen coming in and trying to figure out whose turn it is to talk, because none of us are in studio except Peter, and it's getting a little <laughs> tricky here, guys. So you guys are doing really good. We need, but, like, a buzzer or something. We can, like, I know. buzz into the studio. Like, <laughs> a little light turns on for, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'll that, try, I'll try that, that works time. fine for me. Just get your little Jeopardy buzzers and let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Who, who just buzzed in? Brock? That was, that no, was me. That, that wasn't me. me. I was just testing it. Does it. Did it work? Yeah, it worked that good. That was Justin. That was Justin. <laughs> yep. All right, now we're at a, a time in our, our, our world where we want comfort and assurance from some of the fear and anxiety that's going on. And I got three, well, practically four pastors here, so let's... Uh, Let's talk about that a little. Hmm. I can tell you a story from early in my ministry that I thought really helped exemplify this point. I'm in my first church. Uh, I've been there for several years. Church was growing, good things going on. One day it's five o'clock. I don't have a secretary. There's a knock on the church door. Open it up. Here's a couple I'd never met. And they said, can we talk to you? We're on our way to get divorced. I said, what? Hmm. They said, we'd like to talk to you. So they come into my office, sat down. We had a a long talk. Make a long story short, they both admitted that they had fallen away from the Lord, that their family had become a problem. Their son had some real physical problems. He was a stutterer, and they were in a lot of therapy, and they didn't know quite what to do. And so after about an hour and a half of talking and missing dinner, by the way, uh, they both got on their knees. They repented in front of me and before the Lord with tears and renewed their relationship, and their lives came back together. The good part of the story, though, is as they're walking out of my office, I felt prompted to say to them, by the way, when you get home, take your son Jimmy aside and tell him that your problems were not caused by him, but you're going to be a reunited family. And guys, to tell you the truth, one of the most interesting things, my wife was a teacher at the time. Turns out she knew Jimmy's teacher 
And from that next day on, he never stuttered again. Hmm. And so the Lord brought healing in the midst of a Dick Vogt situation. Hmm. And I think in this pandemic, he's going to do the same thing. Wow. Hmm. I think one of the saddest uh, dimensions of this whole thing that I read about, uh, even globally, and I've been reading quite a bit about what's going on in Italy these days, is how many people have been quarantined from one another and are dying alone and just don't even have their loved ones around them and the people around them. And it makes me think of, uh, it it was a book that I read a number of years ago, I think, called Divine Conspiracy from Dallas Willard. And one of the chapters of that book is titled uh, That the Universe is Ultimately a Safe Place. And I thought, what are you talking about? Uh, What what do you mean by that? And, And what Willard went on to describe is the idea from the Psalms that there isn't anywhere we can be or go where we are outside or absent from God's presence. And if you go up to the heights of the heavens, he is there to the depths of the earth that he is there. And I think about what brings me the most amount of comfort in life, just even on a human level, is somebody's presence, somebody that I trust, somebody that is with me, somebody that's in the same room as me. And I think for all of us that, and I'm sure there's many listeners that are sitting alone at home right now and feel very alone. And I see the stories, like I'm sure all you guys do too, of the 95-year-old grandmother who was shut in uh, and, and her family had to sing the, the, her birthday, happy birthday song from the yard in the street from about 50 feet away. And, and you know, just, just all of this absence from one another, I think that idea of God's presence uh, bringing comfort, I think, has is, is got to just be a prayer for so many. And he does that. His, his presence and his comfort are sort of synonymous because when he's there, you sort of just have a sense of it's going to be okay. There's a, a great story from Julian of Norwich uh, when she walked around during the time of the plague in England when everybody else was shut in in their huts and didn't want to get, obviously, the Black Plague. And she decided to venture from her house, and she began to declare all around the villages that all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And she was declaring that not because suddenly the plague was going to end or people weren't going to get sick and die, but she was declaring that because God's presence, even in the midst of the sickness, was going to be present for them in their comfort. And the universe was a safe place in the sense that even if they were to die, uh, God would be there at the end and, and at the other side. And I think that's a sort of a message of hope that is u- entirely unique to the Christian message that we all profess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, here's, two, here's two comfort verses for me. One is First um, John five thirteen. I write this to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And just to know that because of Christ, our sins are forgiven, I've got a home for eternity. The worst thing that can happen to me in this coronavirus is that I'm going to die. But that's the best thing that can happen to me. And what I say to people sometimes uh, when they're dying is, when we get to the other side, we're going to say, why did I scratch and claw to stay on earth? Mm. And, And the... The story, here's another story. Back in the early 1900s, uh, a mine collapsed in Wales. The bishop was called to do the mass funeral of 200 people that had died. And he said, in my Bible at home is a bookmark that my mother embroidered for me. And he said, if you look at it from the wrong side, it looks like a mistake, just a tangled mess of threads. But he said, if you turn it around to the other side, you'll see beautifully embroidered, God is love. And he said, we're looking at this disaster from the wrong side. It looks like God has made a horrible mistake, 200 people dead. But one day we'll see it from the other side and understand. And so, you know, my comfort is Romans 8:28. God causes all things, not just the happy things. God causes all things to work together 
for good to those who love God. So, you know, if, if I die of this thing, hey, I'm fine. I've got a big God who's got a place called heaven. And, you know, just, just to let the – I'm, I'm kind of a pessimist. I always like to think, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen is I'm going to die, but that's the best that can happen. So those are verses that I like. Mm. Yeah, I would say for the last, I love those thoughts. Those are, that's so good. Um, for the last month or so, um, it's been interesting. I've just noticed, actually just kind of realizing right now how the Lord's been preparing even me before for all this, even before it happened. And I shared on the on the show um, about a month ago about my grandmother passing away. And I, I learned from her at a young age um, when I was just fearful of like, you know, dark and going to bed at night and just simple little things like that as a little child um, that she taught me Psalm 91. And um, so I've been swimming in that for the last month. And um, when all the stuff uh, and the, the crisis really uh, started to spread and, and become widespread and the panic started coming uh, uh, to our, our communities in the, here in the United States, I, I dove back into Psalm 91. And um, I, the phrase that I could give it is, it's our unshakable security in times of uncertainty. And, um, and, and just walking through it, um, I, I love what Psalm 91, it doesn't promise us that we're not going to go through pain, we're not going to go through trial, we're not going to go through hardship. Um, the security is not that we're going to be delivered from temporal, physical, earthly pains, but that we're not going to go through it alone. Hmm. And uh, I, I mean, even just to read the first three lines, it's he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Hmm. And yeah, I know we've, we all we learned well at a young age what to do when in times of, of an emergency, what number to dial, right? It's 911. And uh, there's a sense in which there's a spiritual 911, Psalm 911, hmm. and that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the mighty. And just... You know, we talked about calls to rhythms to prayer, um, something we're doing at Northwestern and Student Life. And actually, I've, I've issued this challenge out to our students. Um, <coughs> is set, an set an alarm um, at 9-11 a.m. and 9-11 p.m. and have two rhythms that you can establish um, each day where you can open up Psalm 91 and pray out of it together and know that you're you're doing that with, with hundreds of others. And um so I, I, that's been a huge encouragement for me and just staying in the word, getting back to just the basic essential, um, you know, rhythm and discipline of, of allowing the word of Christ to dwell in me richly. So um, that, that's our comfort. It is God's presence. It's found in God's word, but yet we still have the opportunity to do it in community. And so um, do it uh, with somebody, give someone a call at 9-11 a.m. or 9-11 p.m. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that time, but you know, like, if initiate a virtual uh, a virtual chat. Do that through Facebook Live. Do it through Google Hangouts. There's so many different avenues. It's amazing in God's providence, all the different pathways that he's provided for us, that in a time of social distancing, it's really not social distancing, it's physical distancing, but we can still be social. We can still yeah. be connected. We just have to be creative and fight for it. Yeah, it's great. I got to take a little break. Uh, if you had a grandmother or grandfather that always would tell you something incredibly wise that was always comforting. And if you would text it to me, I'd love to see what it is. 877-933-2484. And we'll read a bunch of them on the air. 
Again, 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. show. So glad the guys are available and in Peter's in studio and the rest are on the phones taking their turns nicely. Dr. Peter Kapsner is here. Pastor is Tom Brock and Tom Parrish and Pastor Justin Jepson. And uh, gentlemen, here's something that uh, caught my attention. There's a, there's a Israeli man that 15 years ago stole a catapult stone and he's had it for 15 years, and now with what's going on in the world, he's got to unload this off his conscience that he stole it, so he returned it. He goes, the time has come to clear my conscience. <laughs> I mean, isn't that interesting that these kinds of situations produce this kind of uh, response in people? I, mm-hmm. I can't face uh, going to possibly the end of my life with some of this on my conscience. Yeah. Mm. I'm 100% confident I wouldn't recognize a catapult stone if I saw it. So, <laughs> I wouldn't either. Yeah, I would no no idea. But it it does it does make you take inventory though, doesn't it a little bit again? I mean, you just all of what is normal in life becomes completely um abnormal or almost irrelevant and it is interesting that people want to get it off their conscience. And Parrish, I'm curious, you talked about being at the bedside of people. Uh you must have heard quite a, a lot of confessionals in those last few days of people's lives, I would guess. I did quite a bit. And it's amazing how many things people needed to unload. Uh, One of the biggest regrets I heard was I didn't spend more time with my family. Or I regret that I didn't spend more time in the Bible or learn more about Jesus. And there was this real concern. One thing I learned through all of this is that fear gets our attention but doesn't motivate us long term. Love ultimately doesn't get our attention necessarily in a crisis like right now. But once we transfer to that love, that Jesus really does love us, even in the midst of this. That's what can sustain us long-term. And both are play- taking place right now. There are a lot of people fearful. Our goal is to help introduce them to the answer, who's in Jesus, that he's the ultimate answer, and we don't need to fear at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that, you know, moments of crisis, too, it, how it does it does re- reveal and expose this, the state of our, the true state of our souls and in our character. And, you know, I, I think in, you know, the difference of that being at a bedside and looking back and, re- and having moments of regret. Um, and I think this is a good time to, to think back and to just to reflect. I mean, I think um, to, to take, inv- take, take inventory of your soul. I, I was journaling the other day of just saying, okay, Lord, what's, what's the invitation here during this time, uh, during this moment of crisis? And I, I, for me, I just wrote down a few things. I said, number one, it's to slow down. Um, it's to get back to the basics, to focus on the essentials. Um, and it's, uh, and then also secure healthy, sustainable rhythms that are holistic. You know, how often I'm not even, you know, taking food and different things like that for granted. You know, it's, I'm so easy just to kind of, so used to getting what I want when I want it and go out to this restaurant, go out to this grocery store. Um, and this also falls. My last thing is to reestablish a habit of gratitude and really learn the secret of contentment. 
And um, if there is unconfessed sin in someone's life, I mean, that, that is something that will hinder contentment unlike anything else. And so I think um, th- there's a great season of opportunity in the midst of social distancing for there to really be a spiritual deepening, which revolves, which, which results in, um, a, you know, confession, repentance of sin coming into, yeah. uh, cl- you know, close proximity of family. I mean, I was even just at with my grandmother's funeral a month ago of just how many, Oh, why don't we get together more often? You know, it's, you know, we should, we live in the same city, you know, you know, why don't we communicate more? And, it's sad that it takes something like a funeral to, to have that realization. Um, but I think we're in a moment of crisis right now that we can realize what, what really, what truly matters. I know, and this I is know why I think it's so, go ahead, Tom. Hello? Well, I know <laughs> ahead, a woman Tom. who's, yep. I know a woman who's in her last days. Uh, I think she's in her seventies and she called me some time ago and, you know, Pastor Brock, you know, you've told us we need to confess our sins to one another and well, Finally, I need to do this. And she told me about an abortion she had 50 years ago. And I'm just thinking, isn't it sad she waited 50 years to mm. talk to somebody about that? And and I'm glad the crises like the one we're in right now is making people think about their their eternal souls. But wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to wait until something like this happens to be you know, James chapter mm-hmm. five, uh, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And I've got a person like this in my life. I hope everybody does. Is there somebody that you can talk to about your sins and who can mm-hmm. proclaim to you the forgiveness of sins through Christ? You know, you, I know, we know in our head we're forgiven and saved, but sometimes to hear another human being proclaim that to us is so healthy. So I, it's just... Uh, it's just the nature of the beast, though. <laughs> we don't think mm-hmm. about these things until we have to, I'm afraid. Well, this is where the church needs to step in. One of the things I see in this pandemic is the willingness to call people on the phone, talk to them, see how they're doing. And you'd be amazed how many people want to start to talk about things or confess things. And they see this all the time. I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was, I had a middle-aged woman come to my office. And she came in and she said, I'm, I'm here because I'm very bitter and my uncle is dying. I said, okay, why are you bitter? And why, you know, what's that have to do with your uncle? She said, well, when I was a young girl, my uncle would come over to our house to babysit. And when mom and dad were gone, he sexually molested me. This happened time and time again. He never accepted responsibility. He never apologized. And now he's on his deathbed. And he's just going to get out of all this. And I'm bitter about what's happened. And I remember, you know, listening to her and then saying, well, what do you think you want to do about this? She goes, well, I'd like to be healed. I said, how do you think Jesus would have you do that? She said, well, I I suppose the best thing is I could go see him in the hospital, confront him with what he did, and then tell him that for Jesus' sake, I forgive him. I said, I'll go with you. And uh, she wound up going to the hospital the next day. She did that. She actually did that. She confessed. She told him what he had done, and he admitted he had done that. And she said, but I want you to know that I come here to forgive you because Jesus loves you. And she said, honestly, I didn't feel it, but I knew it was right. I guess he cried for the next two hours. Mm. And then he died Mm. the next morning after receiving Jesus into his heart Mm. through this woman. Mm. Now, you talk about the Lord moving. That that would have never happened under normal circumstances, but under those the Lord moved. And that's what I think we can do with one another. 
Yeah, it's a profound story. It, it calls to mind when David talks about uh, the fact that his sin is ever before him when he you know, committed such atrocities with Bathsheba and, and was sort of living in the stew of that sin and it had been sort of unconfessed and not really dealt with. And, and there is that, that freedom that happens, isn't there, just in relationships when we do confess yeah. to one another, when we bring this stuff yeah. into the light. And, and I've heard it said that forgiveness, it, it sort of provides the power, the capacity to break the power of the past and the present so that the future is now open and peaceful again. And that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you immediately just head back into relationships with freedom and all of that, but it just does mean that you don't have that burden of the soul somehow that you have when things remained unconfessed. Uh, it, it's not just a command of God to do this with one another. It, it, he knows what's good for our soul and, and knows that there, there is a release that happens when we do that work with one another. And, and boy, oh boy, uh, as you said, Justin, in, in terms of your devotional time, taking stock and in inventory of the soul, like what, what will I learn from this time? What, what is God calling me to in this time? And maybe for some of us, many of us perhaps, it's that idea of, you know, there's been some stuff that's been stewing around in my heart for a while, and it might be a good idea to, to, to deal with that at this point in time. Another listener said, people try to outrun their sins, hmm. and so they run here and there, keeping busy and numb from outward focus. Well, it looks like the outward focus has been dialed back a little bit. I mean, we've got some more inward time now, and it probably will give people a chance without um, as much on their plate as usual with less social outings and all of that, that they're going to be a little bit more introspective, which is going to be hard for a lot of people. People don't like be, to be alone with their thoughts. That's why they put music in elevators. That's true. <laughs> you know, I, I believe very much in a literal hell, but I heard one guy once say, the worst thing can happen when you die and you don't go to heaven, you wind up in hell with yourself forever. Mm. And boy, isn't that the truth sometimes? And if there is anybody listening and they're, thinking about their soul and they're not sure where they're going to spend eternity. The blessed thing of the Christian faith is we're assured the forgiveness of our sins because Christ paid our sin debt on the cross. And yeah. the blood of Jesus washes clean of all sin, the Bible says. So if there's anybody out there and you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, claim First John 5.13 for your own. I write this to you who believe in the son, name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Or Ephesians 1, seven. in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know, I think God does two things. First, in a good sense, he scares us to show us our sin, uh, where our, our eternity is going to be without Christ, and then he gives us the, the blessed gospel of, of the comfort and the forgiveness of sins. So again, if anybody's out there and you're not sure we're going to spend eternity, this is the time to come to Christ. Whether you live another day or another, you know, 80 years, um, you never know. We're all just what? I don't know how long, how long does it take to suffocate? Maybe is that four minutes, three minutes? We're all like four minutes from death. Mm. And uh, so, yeah. So if you're, you know, Tom, the comment you made 80 years from now, so I, Nice to think I've got three-year-olds listening to me right now. (laughs) 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 My son is listening. He's almost three, you know. (laughs) I think it's interesting that when we take, I've I've done a lot of study of history. After World War II, if you begin to look at Time magazine and the other magazines and read and read the church news and whatever, and I did that for months as I was writing my first book, one thing I discovered was this. We became cynical in America after World War II. We pretty much abandoned 
the answers of the Bible, although a lot of people went to church, but we abandoned the Bible and we said science is going to solve all of our problems. Well, 2020, we found out that's not true. It didn't quite work out that way. But my good friend, Dr. Kent Hunter at the Church Growth Center in Corona, Indiana, personally told me a story. He said, you want to hear the story I had? He said, I had sinus surgery several years ago. He said, I came home from the hospital. I'm setting up the dinner table. And he said, suddenly my plate turned blood red. And he said, what happened is all the stitches broke and I was bleeding to death. It was pumping out as fast as it could. Ambulance got out there, got me in the ambulance. And on the way, one guy said the other, I think we're losing them. The other one said, I think we are too. And I cried out, Lord, you know, save me. What am I going to do? He said, the next thing I knew, he said, folks, I was in paradise. He said, it was incredible. I have never had such peace. And he looked at me. And, you know, when somebody puts a finger on your chest when they're talking, you know, they mean business. He said, if you think this is reality, Tom, you should have been where I was. And he said, but then Jesus walked up and said, Kent, go back, tell them what you've seen, tell them it's all real, and tell them I'm coming for them. And he said, I woke up in recovery. There was my wife and two young kids. And he said, what was interesting, he said, for the next three weeks, I was angry that I was back. I was angry that I had left eternity. And I think that we have abandoned eternity in terms of uh, Christianity. We don't talk about it much anymore. It's either about raising kids or being a better husband. And there's nothing wrong with that. But think how much Jesus talked about eternal life. I think we need to do that as well. People need to know where they're going. All right, let me take a little break. Um, And gentlemen, I want you to open your Bibles and and review Mark chapter 2, verses 8 to 12, because the question I will come back with involves that. If you have a question or comment, 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Guide Talk. Got a great panel in today, as always. Here's a question that came up. This is out of Mark chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Jesus forgives sin on behalf of a paralytic, then heals him of his condition. He then answers the doubt in the hearts of the scribes by asking which is easier. My question is, why does Jesus ask which is easier? Aren't they both on a miraculous level? (laughs) <laughs> I, just real quickly, I'm sure the Toms have something much more profound to share than I do, but I, I think part of the what's at stake here is is Jesus is um, is elevating the fact that how we as humans uh, tend to value and prioritize what's physical, tangible, and temporal versus what's unseen and eternal. So, you know, in a sense in which if this man's healed of his of his paralysis, that is indeed miraculous. And then, you know, yeah, maybe he does have another 80 years to live, or, <laughs> but he's still going to die, and what's the state of his soul? And so it's more, um, even more difficult in a sense um, to, to do something at the soul level, which, uh, you know, people, you know, it says later in Scripture that there, other people can do miracles apart from God uh, and things that there's actually physical healing that takes place. I and mean, then there's going to be signs and wonders done to even deceive even possibly the elect in the end times, it says. But only only God can forgive sins. And so I think what Jesus is doing here, he's exercising the divine prerogative and saying, um, I can do what only God can do because I am the God-man Jesus. Yes. And so yeah. 
um, I think that's I think that's what's getting kind of what's at stake here. Thanks a lot for leaving me out of that, by the way, Brother Jepson. We'll just go to the parishes. They they clearly, you know. <laughs> well, can I, hold on, hold on, hold on. I only said that because I heard you off air saying, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna pitch it to the pastor." So, <laughs> oh, you did. That's that's very true. Well, yeah, I actually know, got no, nothing. You so can go clean up, it. Peter. You bet. You bet. Clean up. Oh, sure. That's, Thank I you. Mean, yeah. Yeah. No, you you'll you'll knock it out of the park. Oh, you'll I'm take sure. our singles that we that we get on base, and you're gonna have something to drive this home. I know. Well, so I currently have nothing, so I'm gonna have to Google some stuff while the while, while the towns are talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, the question is, you know, only God can forgive sins. Yes and no. Because what? if you if you well, here's the thing. In the same story of Mark and Jesus healing the paralytic and telling him his sins are forgiven, and these men are grumbling, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh then Jesus heals him and basically says, "See, I can forgive sins and heal bodies." If you read the same story in Matthew, after the miracle, it says, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men, plural. And then later, after Jesus rises from the dead, he breathes on the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. And so I think there is, you know, ultimately, I, I guess I agree, only God can forgive sins. But he gives that authority to men in Acts, in um, Matthew 9, verse 8, and then Matthew, uh, John 20. He gives that authority to the disciples. So that that's, again, this is what I mean when I say it's, it's great to know the promises of Scripture and claim them. But sometimes we need another human being who is a believer who has the authority to pronounce to us that our sins are forgiven. And it's not just a Catholic thing, you know, it, even though they hardly ever, I'm a Lutheran, it's in the Lutheran church too, but hardly anybody takes advantage of it. And I think that's too bad. Well, one of the interesting things that I see here, guys, is simply this. I hear people say over and over, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's something the church put <laughs> upon him. And if you look at this text, look at verse 6. Verse 6 they're very angry, and they, they basically say to, to Jesus, you know, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? And I think that part of this is a demonstration of who he really is, that he is God. He also then, of course, as Tom mentioned, Second Corinthians 5, makes us his ambassadors, his emissaries to speak his word. But I think somehow when we look at the healing of somebody in scriptures, we don't, you know, I think we get the wrong understanding here. It's not just simply to relieve somebody's pain that they've suffered with or to give them a temporary fix until they die a few years later. This was a demonstration of who Jesus was, who has a power and his authority. And the power and authority that you and I are now given, which we rarely exercise because I don't think we understand what it means to speak words of forgiveness, words of power, words of giving people life. And in this country, we don't see a whole lot of healings like we'd like to. But when I was overseas, I saw it a lot because the people there see themselves as the voice of Jesus in a dark world. Yeah, no, I, I, I've got, I got nothing, Bill. I got, I got, I got, I'm sitting here with nothing. And I'm not a theologian, no. and I was a solid C student. So some of this, uh, what Pastor Brock, you said, I would have to go and study myself. Uh, uh-huh. I appreciate the, uh, you know, the information you gave, but um, I, yeah, this is some of that. That's kind of a new thought. Yeah, very I much mean, so. People, uh, the the apostles had authority given to them by Jesus at the time, um, and was that for a time then, and is that still a time for now? 
Well, and certainly within the Catholic tradition, there would be the idea that the priest could be the intermediary between you and God, and that's why you would have the the sacrament of going to confession to the priest. And so uh, people have understood things that way, and what that means, uh, I I would hesitate to then make that dogmatic on some level, because clearly we go straight to God for the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. exactly. Right. Yeah, and I don't doubt that. It's just the thought of, for instance, if you walk into a, Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church, a lot of these churches will have the confession at the beginning of the service. And then the pastor will get up and proclaim to them that through Christ our sins are forgiven so that we can worship with a clear conscience the Mm. rest of the hour. It used to be at the beginning of every service. And uh, because things have gone so contemporary, you often don't find any confession or absolution anywhere in the service anymore. And you just got to wonder, how come Christians did that for hundreds of years? And should we get rid of this stuff so quickly? (laughs) You know, so Mm -hmm. there you go. Well, and I think there's also something to be said of drawing that distinction of, you know, um, forgiveness of sin. Certainly we, you know, James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another that you Mm -hmm. may be healed. So there, there is a healing when I, when I confess my sins, um, and, and, uh, to somebody else, um, and there, there, there is that, you know, that absolution that's pronounced. We're only doing that, you know, Tom, you've talked about this before, on behalf of God. So, I mean, I can mm-hmm. I can confess and I can forgive someone's sin against me, and then that can accomplish a horizontal reconciliation. But I can't cannot forgive somebody else's sin that, that accomplishes a vertical reconciliation with God. Only, only God can do that. So I think there are very closely intertwined, and we sometimes try to separate them out too much. But I think sometimes there's that that distinction for me has been helpful. I'm I, I'm not a Catholic, and I don't believe you have to go to a priest to have your sins forgiven. Uh, that said, you do have, like you just said, James five and John, uh, John twenty. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. So I I don't want to go off the wrong side of either horse, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a tension that we don't get. Because what does the Bible say? Jesus said, and basically we are the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Is that a nice metaphor? How does that really fit in with what authority and power we're called to have and to share with others? But I agree with uh, with everybody else. It is Jesus who ultimately does the forgiving. I'm only a channel or a representative. I don't have the physical power of my own character to forgive others. But he gives me the authority to speak his words of forgiveness and offer people that because we are his body. And it's a tough one. Well, and I think there is, uh, you see the power of what you guys are talking about represented in sort of the proverbial accountability group, right? Where you gather together and you mm-hmm. you talk about those things going mm-hmm. on in your life. And there is right. something about the shared burden together of that, where we, we do all kind of somehow share that load with one another. And there is uh, a lightning that does happen in people's souls when we're able to talk with one another. So that there is a difference between we can offer each other uh, like God's forgiveness as opposed to sort of walking together within the forgiveness of God on behalf of the corporate sin. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the, then there's the second half of the verse in John 20. Jesus said uh, to the disciples, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain are retained. And that is historically excommunication. That if somebody is living in hard-hearted sin, there's no repentance, uh, then the church has the authority to say, your soul's in trouble until you repent. And, boy, we never do that, but maybe that's the reason the church is such a mess, you know. Mm. Um, Another uh, 
Note came in from a listener. I appreciate the conversation you are having. I'm a hospice nurse, 45 years of post-abortion. The deep, deep, dark secrets, sexual abuse, abortion, are very difficult to deal with. I've had seven to eight women at the end of life tell me about an abortion 80 years prior. They need to be assured of their forgiveness and God's love. Oh, gosh, blessings on her, right? I mean, to be a hospice nurse, you're in that sacred space all the time. And so... Yeah. You know, I think sometimes we unfortunately think that the people who do do ministry in this world are the people with the fancy degrees and the seminary trained education and, and all of those things. And, and maybe that's true to some extent, but what that person is doing, I'm certain in the anonymity of her life, but within all of these different people and those really sacred veil piercing moments from, from this life to the the life that is to come and, and how she acts as a, as a priest priestess in those moments for one another, that what a call. Now, that's actual ministry. That That's being an ambassador mm-hmm. of reconciliation in ways that oh, you absolutely. simply don't learn with whatever fancy letters you might have after your name. If somebody's listening here who's had an abortion and you've never talked to somebody, there's something, it's called Rachel's Vineyard. There's a little retreat you can go on in the weekend. If that's too much, you can call Robbinsdale Women's Center. You can call Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center. The, these uh, these pro-life crisis pregnancy uh, centers often have something for people that have already gone ahead and had the abortion, and now they feel awful and they want some kind of healing. And, you know, I, I just encourage, because so many people have had abortion in America, just to, to get alone with somebody or some little group and just talk it all out. You don't want to carry this around for 50 years. I appreciate I was always outspoken I, in my ministry about abortion, for, yeah. and and we talk about that. But we'd also offer alternatives. We would help women with unwanted pregnancies, provide money, financing, education. But I've been amazed over the years how many phone calls I get from women I've never met who basically say, Pastor, I had an abortion. I'm bitter about it. I'm bitter at the people that talked me into it. I'm bitter at myself for doing it. I don't think God can ever forgive me. And like this hospice nurse, it gives you that great opportunity to talk about no matter how bad your sin is, no matter how horrible it is. Yeah. There is forgiveness and the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. You'll trust in him. Yeah. And many of these women have. And I say, praise God. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, coming on board today. It's been great being together. I miss you guys. Indeed. Looking forward yep. to our next time. Thank you, face. That wraps up. See our you time. soon. Yep. We'll take a short <laughs> break you. and be right back with our two. We're going to have uh, an amazing replay with John and Pam Bloom. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.